are listening to the weekly message at Woods Chapel Blue Springs, where it doesn't matter who you are or where you are coming from, everyone is included, accepted, and loved. For more information, please visit us at woodschapelbluesprings.org. Well, good morning. I can hear all of you at home saying good morning, and I almost forgot my next stand. I might need this. Uh, well, listen, I know that's a little weird video for a sermon, but we're starting a new series today. And the new series revolves around games. Now, how many of you remember those games? Come on, do you remember those games at home? If you're at home watching, tell me what games do you remember. My family loves board games. We just love them. And uh, on a Sunday afternoon or during summer or on a vacation, it's not uncommon that we would get together and play board games. Now, I remember some of those commercials. I'm a child of the 80s and the 90s, and so I think some of those commercials were then, maybe even before that. Um, some of you might remember some of that, but games are one of those things that are exciting, they're fun, we love them, and it's kind of a throwback. Now, if you love board games like I do, I believe that there are life lessons learned in board games. So, we're going to be talking about, I don't know, the popular board games that at least I like to play. Uh, board games like Scrabble. How many of you like Scrabble? Those are a lot of fun, right? Scrabble's a lot of fun. Um, if you've ever had a, point, or a word over 100 points, that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about that next week, how our words are important. Uh, we're going to talk about Jenga, the life, uh, how we can uh, you know, pull, remove, add things in life, and life can fall apart or stay together. And then we're going to talk about Monopoly, which is my favorite game. I love Monopoly. Um, I don't lose. If I start losing, I just quit. So uh, I'm a horrible loser. We take strengths assessments, and one of my strengths is competition. And I'm still trying to figure out how that's a strength of mine, because it always seems to be a flaw of mine. But uh, I love to win. Today we're talking about the game Sorry. Now, how many of you played the game Sorry? You remember this? Yes. It's this game where there's this board. Now, originally I was thinking this is the game that, remember the bubble with the dice in it? And you push the bubble, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's Sorry. So I'm like, no, that's trouble. I'm like, oh, dang it. Very similar games. Anyway, sorry, you have these little game pieces, right? And you have, you have a home, and you try to get these game pieces all the way around the board. Everybody has a color, right? All the way around the board, you gotta go all the way around, and you draw these cards, you need to go a certain amount, you can only start with like a one or a two, and you go all the way around the board, and you can only go like just a few spaces at a time, you gotta go, gotta get to home, right? And there's this long path home, and, and it's just, it's, it's monotonous, and it's, it's, it's a long game, and uh, I guess, you know, it's just like one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. And the reason it's called sorry is because on occasion, uh, somebody can kick you all the way back to the starting point. And so if you draw a certain card, or if you can land on somebody, you land on them and you look at them, what do you say? Sorry. Sorry. Do you mean it though? I mean, if you're a competitive person, you don't mean that. You're like, hashtag sorry, not sorry, sucks to be you. I'm winning, right? That's, that's where I go. <laughs> But, you know, not only do you do this one time with one little piece, but there's four pieces going all the way around the board. And the point of the game is that when you knock somebody back home, it's fun, right? It's fun. That's the, that's the name of the game. Sorry. And you're supposed to say, sorry. But we're not. I think there are important life lessons to be learned from the game of sorry. Because I believe that to our core, sorry has lost its meaning. How many of you use the word sorry all the time? I use it all the time, and it has different meanings. It's lost its complete original meaning, but we use it for other things. 
I have a, a friend of mine, a coworker, who says, I mean, we, we start a, a conversation, usually the third word in the conversation after I've said the first two is, oh, I'm sorry. Now, I always have that person say, you're not really sorry. And they're like, yeah, you're right. They just, it is usually to diffuse the situation or they use it to de-escalate or it's just their natural response. Right? We use these words all the time. I'm sorry for this or I'm sorry for that. We don't really mean we're sorry. Now, who, how many of you watch Mornings with Mike? You watch in the morning, I do this little devotion, right? And I'm your pastor, I'm in this holy, amazing place in the morning. It's sinful and I'm just, I'm, I'm just releasing information, right? And it's great and it's good and I invite you to see the good and participate in the good. Well, I'm gonna tell you a story about how that's a bunch of crap because this morning, not this morning, on Thursday morning, I get up. Now I get up at five o'clock in the morning and I get up and I go over my notes for that morning's with Mike, right? And I'm going over everything. And I'm reading my stuff, and I, I leave the house about 6, and I get in my car, and I drive, um, not too far, maybe half a mile, to a little point on this lake, and I record a daily devotional. And so I get in my car, and I sit down, I'm like, you ever get in your car, and it's like somebody's been here? Like somebody's been in my car, you know, like your spouse, you know, and you want to choke them just a little bit because the seat's just not quite quiet, you know, it's not right, and everything's different. And I put my arm down, and it's wet. I'm like, what in the heck? And I look up at my sunroof's open. And it had rained the night before. And I'm like, Stacy, are you kidding me? Not only did you drive my car, but you moved the seats, you know, the sunroof's open, the, the car's wet now because it rained last time. And you left it. I'm like, come on, you are killing me here. I'm mad, right? I'm getting ready to go impart wisdom and information to you all. And have a blessed day and pray. And I'm angry. I'm angry and I'm mad. I'm like, oh, recenter, come back. I get in the car and I drive and I'm like, all right, I can do this, I can do this. I tell you all how to love each other and on the inside I'm dying. I can't wait to get home and ask my wife, why did you do this? What's wrong with you, right? And so I drive home and I walk in and I'm trying to I'm just, you know, stay calm. Just stay calm. I go up and walk to the room and I open the door. Now keep in mind it's like 7 o'clock. My wife's not a 7 o'clock person. I walk in. Maybe I barged in. I walked in and... I was like, hey, did you drive my shit? Did you drive my car last night? No. You're sure? You didn't drive my car last night. So, you know, at this point, if you guys know me, I, I'm not the best with details. And I forget things. And so then I think I'm crazy, right? So he's like, I didn't drive it. It wasn't me. I'm like, you sure? Are you awake? You're sure you like, you know, are you sure you didn't drive my car? And then I'm like, I'm crazy. But now, what you guys don't know is for the last three days, I've gotten in my car. And it seems like something's been, you know, something just messed with. Like my lights were turned off and the radio was on aux. And I'm like, what? Like is something breaking into my car at night and messing with my car? And the answer is yes. And so it occurs to me that I have children. <laughs> and there were only two at home and one had a friend over. And so I barged into the room. Who? was in my car, right? I'm mad now. I'm like, I know it was one of the children. Who was in my car? I'm starting to get mad, like, and, and they wait, there's a friend with them going straight up out of bed, and one of the poor friend crawling up in bed, like all scared, who is this pastor yelling at me in? And I'm like, why were you in my car? I wasn't in your car, right? Now I know, that, I know they're in my car. I know they've been in my car, I'm not going crazy. I mean, I am crazy, but this moment I'm not crazy. And so I'm, I'm standing there, and I'm like, why were you in my car? We're in your car, we're in the car. And now, now have, those of you that have done some work on yourself have been to counseling, I'm one of those people. We have these things called triggers, okay? And I found myself 
in one of these moments because there are a couple things that trigger me, right? I don't like to be lied to, and I can't stand laziness. These are just two things that get under my skin. And so I'm being lied to. I can feel, right, like my hair. You can see how it's kind of nice this morning. Like it, there's so much steam coming off my head, my hair was flowing up. It was just... It was that much anger going on. And I'm like, you were in my car. No, no, you weren't. I was like, yes, you were. Just tell me. I was like, it rained last night and got in my car. And then they said, well, we did it after two, after it rained. And I was like, what? You go, go with me? Are you here? You with me? The anger, the madness, they're lying to me. I'm like, you're in my car. You're messing with it. And I'm like, get out of bed now and come downstairs. And I leave the room and I slammed the door, right? After I just imparted Jesus to all of you. It was great. <laughs> You need to know this is your pastor. This is the person that I am. I was mad. I was hot. I was livid. Stacy's like, I thought you broke the door. <clears throat> I was mad. So if I'm going to trigger someone, I'm just going to walk away and go downstairs. I'm come downstairs. I'm sitting at the bottom of the stairs, right? And I'm just, I'm just pacing back and forth. I'm just waiting for him. I'm going to devour these two. Because in my head, what have they done? They went for a joyride. Now, you didn't know. I have a daughter in college. The rest of the children in my house are not of dragon age. So this isn't like they took my car out for a joyride or got in it and they were of driving age. And so uh, I'm there and I'm mad and I'm irate and I'm angry and they come down like, Dad, I'm sorry, right? That I'm sorry, Mr. Scott, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And of course it diffused. But how am I to know what sorry means? What does sorry mean to you? If I were to say I'm sorry, what does that mean to you? What does that mean? Do we use it just to diffuse the situation? Do we use it for humor? Do we use it just to deflect from people? If we say, I'm sorry, we think somebody's going to leave us alone? Or does sorry have a deeper meaning to it, or deeper roots to being sorry? You know, we read about this idea of sorry. Sorry is what? It's regret. It's realizing you've done something wrong. In the Old Testament, we find this word, nakamu which means regrets, the root of the word repent. Repent, that means regret, that means sorry. Right? These are all roots in our Bible and things that we learn from our Bible and things that we learn from our faith and from our heritage. And it's this idea that when we do something wrong, that we have a certain feeling about this. In the Old Testament of the Bible, it tells us that we have regrets, we have these feelings, we have emotions. And that's one form of being sorry. That is part of being sorry. And of course, then what do you do? You ask for forgiveness. Now, as a father, actually, it doesn't matter if I'm a father who I am. If somebody asks me for forgiveness, what are we supposed to do? If somebody says, I'm sorry, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to grant that forgiveness. Right? Somebody comes to Jesus and is like, Jesus, are we supposed to forgive somebody seven times? That was the, the thought, the school of thought that we forgive somebody seven times, right? You have a match, you have a cap on it. And Jesus, he changes that idea. He's like, no, it's something better than this. You can read about this in Matthew 18. He says, you're going to forgive somebody seven times seven. Now, he didn't mean that he had to count out 490 times. Did I get that math right? I think I did. What he was saying is he's using hyperbole. We always forgive because who is forgiveness about? Is forgiveness about the person you're forgiving or is forgiveness about you? Forgiveness is about you. It's about you letting go. It's you saying, I'm not going to let that thing happen to me. I'm not going to let that control me. I'm not going to let that define me. I'm not going to let that eat away at me. I'm going to let that... Go, whether they mean it or not. So I'm going to play two sides of this coin this morning. If somebody has said sorry to you and asked them for forgiveness, you are to grant it. You are to say you are forgiven. I'm releasing you of this. Now, don't hear me wrong. 
We're sitting in a room, and Allison, Amy, and I are talking about the sermon series, and, and Allison points out, and she's really good at helping me with this stuff. She says, Mike, but, but does that mean we let people hurt us? No. No, sometimes to forgive somebody means you have to let go of that relationship. You have to let go of that thing. It doesn't mean you continue on a relationship. It means you are taking yourself, and you're going to heal from that. You're going to choose to move beyond the thing of hurt and of pain. And so, no, you do not allow yourself to be in hurtful situations. But you should forgive. You see the difference there? You don't, let, you don't let somebody continue to hurt you, but you need to let them go, let the thing go, so that you can give us forgiveness. It's about you. It's not about the perpetrator. It's not about the other party. It's not about the person who has hurt you. Forgiveness is about us. And so we find that these principles, these ideas, this idea of forgiveness, right? Now, that's the first part of forgiveness is we ask somebody, we say, I'm sorry. We say, would you please forgive me? Like my children did with me. Dad, please forgive us. Forgive us. We have wronged you. We've made you mad. We've done something that's hurt something. Mainly my armrest because it was wet. Really? Right? This doesn't matter. But, nonetheless, forgiveness was asked for and forgiveness was granted and there's this idea, right? There's this idea that if you're truly sorry, if you're truly seeking forgiveness, there's a second part to this whole idea that I'm sorry. And, and the second part we also find in our Bible. It's this other idea, this is other notion, it's another way to say repent. It's in the Old Testament, it's called should. Should means to turn, to turn back, to turn towards, to turn away, whatever that means, just to turn. So the other part of repenting, the other part of saying I'm sorry, is that we have to change behavior. We have to turn. Now we just finished a series a few weeks ago where we talked about pathways, that we are here, that our church exists to help people along a pathway, that we're all on a path of spirituality. We're all on a path towards God, towards faith. Well, however it is that you define that, we are all on some kind of path. And we do things that are selfish, that hurt us and that hurt others, and we call those things sin. Sin, the root word is harmatia, it means to miss the mark, it's an archery term. So if sin is harmatia, miss the mark, making selfish decisions, moving away from that path, repentance is the opposite. Repentance is the thing that, that says, you know, well, let's turn back. And it starts with saying two simple little words. I'm sorry. And a true apology a true apology requires, requests, it, it, it forces, I shouldn't say force, it invites you into a place of change. And so when you hear the words repentance, what I go to is I think of fire and brimstone. How many of you grew up in a church where repentance was preached and hellfire and brimstone? If you didn't repent, you're going to what? Burn! I don't believe that. I believe it goes much deeper than that. It's made this idea. I was, I was told a lie. I was told a lie that if I just say this prayer and I ask God to, to, to forgive me of my sins and I repent and I'm baptized and I'm safe forever. And while I believe, I don't believe that we are going to burn, I do believe that Jesus invites us to be much more than that. That repentance is much more than saying a prayer. Repentance is much more than just a one-time thing. Repentance is a way of life. Repentance is a mindset. It goes well beyond that. Now, I'm going to tell the story this morning about change, about saying I'm sorry, and, and change that goes behind it, and the ways we deal with that. Because when somebody comes to you, if somebody's hurt you deeply, and they say I'm sorry, and maybe they've done it time after time after time, what's your first reaction? 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 you're not worthy of my forgiveness. Now, what I said before, we are to grant forgiveness because that's for us. But what are we not going to do? Most likely, we're not going to continue to engage within a relationship if somebody has continually hurt us over and over and over again. The relationship demands, requests, invites us into this place of change. And so we have to change. But we're always skeptical. How many skeptics I have? Come on, get your hands up at home. How many skeptics do I have in the room when somebody apologizes to you? You're like, ah, not seeing a change. Don't we do that a little bit? We're like, I'm not going to forgive them until I see some real change. Now, I don't think it's... So I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. Uh, if somebody's asking for forgiveness from me, you grant it. If you're asking for forgiveness from somebody else, get your crap together and change. Repentance, saying I'm sorry, means that we change, that we turn, that we turn around, that we do things differently. I want to talk about Paul. Now, Paul's name, uh, in, well, in Greek it's Paul. The same name uh, in Hebrew is Saul. So Saul and Paul are the same person. Now, I talk a lot about Paul because outside of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are disciples of Jesus, who wrote the first four books of the Bible, talks about Jesus' life. And then Luke, or whoever wrote Luke, wrote this book called Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostle. It tells us about the early church. And um, that's, that's the beginning of our, of our New Testament. And then most of the rest of the New Testament was written by this guy named Paul. Uh, now, his, again, his original name, his Hebrew name was Saul. And so because I talk about him a lot, because we read a lot about some of his writings and what he had to say and what he invited us into, I'm going to talk about Paul's origin stories. Now, origin stories are popular right now. We have superhero movies, and what do we have? Everybody knows a good origin story, right? We go back to the beginning, we were introduced to a superhero, and then we go back to our origin stories. How did they become about? What makes them the way they are? Why do they tick? Why are they the way they are? Right? People ask me that all the time. Mike, why are you the way you are? I'm like, I'm so sorry. Uh, but Paul's origin stories we find in Acts 7. It's the first mention of Saul in the Bible. Now, in Acts 7, uh, the churches started, things are happening. Jesus has already been crucified on the cross. Jesus is gone. And there is this guy named Stephen. Stephen is preaching the gospel. He's going around, he's preaching from, uh, from place to place to place. And he goes in front of the leaders of the Jewish faith, and they are reading the riot act. Why? Because Stephen's like, listen, there's, there's a new way, y'all. Our faith as we know it, this way we used to do it, it's, it's, it's gone. There's this guy named Jesus, and he invites us into a new way of faith. Now, you know that early Christians didn't call themselves Christians. That, that term didn't exist. They called themselves the followers of the way. And what they were talking about is there was a new way of faith, a new way to think about things, a new way in which we could understand God and each other. And so he's preaching about these new ways, which was heretical, right? This guy, they like him, he's going to go to hell, and they get together, and there's a mob, and they get mad, and they stone him to death. They kill Stephen. And in chapter 7 of Acts, we read about this young man, this young man named Saul, who was a part of this. And Saul liked it. Saul liked that Stephen died. He liked that he could oppress a group of people that were trying to change things, that were trying to change their religion, that were trying to change the way they were doing stuff. And so Paul begins to persecute Christians. This is what he does. Now that's sick. He liked it when somebody died. He liked it that people were being hurt. He liked to oppress them, to, to throw them in jail, to kill them. Now I want to fast forward to Acts 9, all right? 
So uh, Saul is now doing these things, and I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to jump around in Acts nine. If you want, go read the whole chapter. You get the whole background of it. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Verse verse one it says, "Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and was eager to kill." I don't even know why I have this. It's in my notes. Now y'all know this, right? I have my Bible up here, and I was telling somebody this morning. You know, you're getting old when you have to print out <clears throat> bigger words in your Bible. You see this on? Bigger words in your Bible because you can't read them. So I put all my notes and I put up in here, but I, I'm just going to read out notes, okay? I'm getting old. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He said, he requested letters to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. You see that phrase that he found there. He wanted them to bring both men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. So Paul's gone to the authorities and said, listen, give me what? Give me arrest warrants. Give me freedom to go take these people because we don't like their new way of life. We don't like how they're living. We don't like this thing that they're doing. So Paul asked to go do that. And um, they grant him that. Now, how many of you heard the term I, uh, of the Damascus experience? Growing up, uh, uh, maybe conversion experience, maybe on the road to Damascus. So Paul is going from Jerusalem to Damascus and he has this experience. And uh, Jesus comes to him and says, you're persecuting me, you know, please don't do this, you know, and Paul's blind. There's this whole thing where uh, 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 Ananias, I think, comes and prays over him, he's healed. And, but I want to jump down to verse 20. So Paul has this experience with Jesus, where, where Jesus calls out to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, and immediately he began to preach about Jesus in the synagogues. Right, so he's had this conversion experience, and immediately... Right? He's healed, he can see again, he's preaching about Jesus, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who have heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused so much devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? So what are people doing? They're not having it. This guy, five minutes ago, was doing what? He's dragging us off to jail, he's killing us. And he said, and didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in change, chains and lead them to the priests? Now how many of you have done that? You see somebody maybe who, who says they've changed, but they really haven't. This is Paul. He's had this experience, and, and people just aren't having it. And so uh, I guess to the point where they're going to kill him. So, so Paul leaves, Saul, Paul, he leaves uh, Damascus, and he heads back to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem, says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Paul would actually fight this the entire rest of his life. And Paul would fight this, whatever this thing was inside of him, this thing that liked to harm people, that liked to do things that weren't good for us. Paul would fight this, and he would use phrases like, you know, the spirit is willing, but my flesh is it's weak. Paul was fighting this dark thing within him. Paul is sorry. Paul, I believe, is experiencing repentance. Paul participated in repentance. He changed. He, he turned directions. He did something new. Paul would go on to preach and to write. We read a lot of the repentance stories and teachings we read about in the Bible are words from Paul to other people. Except Paul doesn't use these old phrases like the Hebrew phrases like knocking or the Hebrew phrase shove, shoot, however you want to say it. Paul uses a new phrase in Greek because in the New Testament we find that it's in Greek. And it's metanoia. Now, this phrase has two parts. So Paul's saying that we should repent, we should do these things. And the phrase is metanoia, and it's two parts. One is, is a preposition. It means after. 
So metanoia, which goes before, the meta part means after. And the other part, the noia part, is this verb. That means to think differently, to perceive differently, to observe differently. So when Paul uses this, frame, this phrase that we say is repentance, to change the turn, Paul, what the word Paul using means to change, to think differently afterwards. So Paul's inviting us into the space where we do things. And we're aware. We have this awareness going on around us that the thing we did is harmful and not good. And maybe hurting us or hurting other people. And Paul invites us, after those things happen, to think of it differently. To turn. To turn from our, what? Our ways. To do things differently. To live a new way. Paul invites us to repent. I want to take you back to my staircase where I'm pacing and the kids are coming downstairs. And I'm, I'm mad. We have a conversation. Things settle down. I'm making new chores, right? Because what better way to teach your kids to do chores than to use them as punishment? That's a joke. You can laugh at that because it's probably not the best idea. But they do some chores, I have them do some extra stuff, and they go back to bed, and they wake up later, and I'll sit in my office, you know, in, in the holy moment, working on this amazing sermon for y'all. And, and they come down, like, Dad, I want to talk to you. Mr. Scott, I want to talk to you. Come here. So we go and sit on the couch, and I'm like, Dad, I'm sorry. Now, I didn't tell them to do this. They'd already said they're sorry. We'd already been through that exercise. Dad, I'm sorry. I want you to know we're not going to do that again. We're going to change. And you know what I had to do? I had to look the two of them in the eye and say, you know what, I'm sorry too. Because I let my anger get the best of me. I let myself go to this place where I'm slamming doors and I'm yelling. you have found yourself in a place like that, expecting an apology, expecting somebody else to be sorry, expecting somebody else to repent, yet maybe you are the one that needs to be sorry, that needs to repent. Now, I'm also aware that these things take time. Change takes time. Paul found himself in this spot where he went from this to that, and I, I just in my life, we, we read about these extreme stories, right? It's hyperbole, but I don't find that happens all the time. What I find is that when we sin, we slowly move off the mark. Little decision, little decision, little decision. And I believe we find our way back the exact same way. That to participate in repentance means to take small, little steps. You know, we're going to mess up sometimes. We're going to fail sometimes. Do I believe my kids are never going to do anything stupid? No! Just wait an hour. I mean... Do I believe that I'm done with anger and I just give it up one day and I'm healed from it? No! I have to work through that. I have to make small, little decisions. Just like the game of sorry, it's small, little steps over and over and over again. And it's pain-taking and it's slow and we find ourselves going around and around and around and sometimes something comes in our path and they smack us up the side of the head and we find ourselves right back at the place we started. 
place where we didn't want to be. I hope today that you're able to realize that repentance, that saying you're sorry, it's, it's not a one-time thing. It's not something we just say and it happens. Repentance, saying I'm sorry, is a way of living, a different way of living. Now I know all of us, everyone in this room, probably can think of a thing we've done, maybe this morning. I had to apologize to my wife this morning. This is going to surprise a lot of you, but I was a jerk last night. <clears throat> I don't know where you find yourself today, but I hope you find yourself in a state of mind of repentance, of I'm sorry, knowing that whether you're apologizing or being apologized to, it takes peace and step and step after step to get there. I hope today that in your journey you can take one of those small steps towards forgiveness, towards repentance, towards truly being sorry. And as we continue on that journey and that path, as we think of those things and those opportunities and ways in which to live in that life, let's go to God and ask Him for His assistance. God, thank you so much for the opportunity. God, the opportunity to see that we're wrong. God, the opportunity to say that we're sorry. God, we know that that path looks different for each of us. Just like in the game we played as a kid, our colors are different, our paths are different, and the way we get there is not always the same. And sometimes, God, for a lot of us, God, we've got to start over and over and over again and again and again. And honestly, God, sometimes we actually want to blame other people. Because what do they do? They send, us, they send us packing backwards and we blame them. But God, help us to know that when we grant forgiveness to other people, when we participate in this thing called repentance, God, help us to know that that is making us better people. And God, that responsibility lies on our shoulders and our shoulders alone. God, help us to see that all around us is this immense need for your love, to be better people, to say I'm sorry, God, to forgive and to live a life in and with repentance. God, help us to be those people. Help us to be followers of the way, which is your way. We thank you for those opportunities and the blessings, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you are able to join us at Woods Chapel Blue Springs next week.